0: you can do to fulfill God's epic purpose for your life. I talk to a lot of people who tell me that finishing strong is a big theme in their life. If you know anything about professional football and and the uh, Super Bowl Seahawks, you know that one of their themes is finish strong. They don't mean just finish the game strong or finish the season strong. They They mean finish the play strong as well as the game and the season. A lot of people are talking about finishing strong. Well, when we look at Acts chapter 19 through 28, what we see is Paul on his fourth journey. There are three missionary journeys in Acts, and there is a fourth journey where Paul goes from roughly from Ephesus to Rome by way of a lot of different places. And the purpose that Luke has in writing this section is to show how Paul is finishing strong. Now, it's not just his life, because he's going to do a lot of things after Acts chapter 28, but he's finishing the commission that Jesus gave him in a particularly strong way. And so in this series, we want to talk about what it takes for us to be people who finish strong, finish a season of our lives strongly, finish um, a period of time strongly, finish our life strong. And So, we're going to look at that. Now, we start this morning by looking at um, power. Where do you get the power to finish strong, and what kind of power do you use? So, um, my, son and, my son-in-law and my daughter in England, uh, well, they were in England, bought a car that was a diesel engine car, and uh, my son-in-law goes into the gas station. You know how it is when you go into the gas station. You can go into mental autopilot. You put your card in. You pick up the nozzle closest to you, and you fill up the car. Well, he filled up his gasoline as diesel engine car with petrol. Not a good thing. Got in the car, uh, turned it on, got about 10 feet, and it died. It died. Now here's the deal, gasoline is good power, but it's no power in a diesel engine. And apparently this is not, uh, this is not uncommon because uh, there is a fuel fixer that advertises, if you've done this, there's somebody who's gonna help you fix it. I had a friend in Dallas who had a Volvo, had this Volvo for a long time. Bright guy, CPA, MBA, a uh, very sharp guy, had this Volvo for a long time. He knew it was a gasoline engine car. I mean, it, I'm sorry, a diesel engine car. But he goes in, and after having had the car for five years or so, he puts gas in his diesel engine. Now, gas is good fuel, but in a diesel engine, it is no power at all. And when we think about the kind of power that we need to finish well, we have to choose the right kind of power. And that's what Paul is going to talk about in this section. So we're going to look at several things. First of all, there's two stories in this section, uh, Acts chapter 19 and 20. The first story is about a riot in Ephesus. And we're going to see one kind of power represented by the riot in Ephesus. The second story is the resurrection of Eutychus. And we're going to see an entirely different kind of power in the resurrection of Eutychus. It's the contrasts in power I want us to see so that we choose what is the right kind of power. So, first of all, let's let's take a look at the purpose that God has given to Paul for the rest of his life. God gives Paul an epic purpose in Acts 19.21. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. Now, Paul had been in the city of Ephesus for three years. Things have been going exceptionally well for Paul. There are signs, there are wonders, there are miracles, there's a multiplication of small groups. You'd think Paul would be there for the rest of his life. Not so. Paul is in prayer one day. And the holy spirit says paul i want you to go to rome now why rome what's the big deal about going to rome well rome is really part of the great commission there are four commissions in the gospels one in acts and the acts commission gives us the rome connection because the great commission begins in jerusalem it goes to judea and samaria And then it reaches the ends of the earth. Well, where are the ends of the earth? Well, to get to the ends of the earth, you pretty much had to go to Rome. Because Rome was at the center, all roads lead there, all roads lead away from there. So if Paul is going to successfully accomplish the Great Commission, he has to get to Rome. And from Rome, he's going to be able to get to the ends of the earth. Now, I want, you to th- I want you to think about what God just did in Paul's life. Paul had the big picture purpose. That's the Great Commission. You have that same purpose. Your big picture purpose is the same that every Christian has had for the past 2,000 years. But what God did for Paul in prayer is He narrowed that down and gave him a specific way to accomplish that great commission which was go to rome via jerusalem so we've got this big picture purpose all of you have it all of you have it it's to be an ambassador for Christ it's to accomplish the great commission but that can be done in a great many ways and for paul what that meant is you've got to get to rome that's paul that's your specific task i want you to get to rome Now, let's bring this up to the year 2016. Where do we live? We live in the ancient equivalent of Rome. You see, for us, the ends of the earth are here and everywhere else. The nations are here. The nations are out there. So when I ask you the question, where is your Rome? That's where God has chosen to plant you right now, in this season of your life for some of some you're going to do this best as moms as stay-at-home moms that's your role. that's your purpose in this season for some it's going to be as teachers god has you in this specific season of your life specifically carrying out your role as a teacher for some it's going to be medical professionals nurses and doctors for some it's going to be as businessmen and businesswomen. some are going to do this as software developers You have an overarching purpose, and that is advance the kingdom of God, but God is going to give you, usually in prayer, a highly targeted, highly specific purpose for how you carry out that epic, epic vision that God has given to all of us. And what I want to argue is this. If you spend time in the presence of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, He will direct you and tell you where to go. He'll tell you where to go and and what to do. And I want you to notice something else about Paul's instructions. These are really, really surprising instructions. Um, Paul's journey to to Rome uh, is not a straight path. You see that Paul was in Ephesus, and he's going to go into Greece. Well, okay, he's halfway to Rome there, but Now he's going to go back to Jerusalem and then take a long trip up the Mediterranean, cut through Sicily in the boot of Italy, and get up to Rome. Is that that a straight path? That 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 is not a straight path. Now, why does God give Paul a zigzag path? Well, here we have to remember who wrote the book of Acts. Acts is written by Luke. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and Luke wrote the book of Acts. Both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts have the heroes going on a main journey at the end. Jesus goes on a journey from Galilee to Jerusalem, Luke 9 9 through 19. Paul goes on a journey from Ephesus to Rome via Jerusalem, Acts 19 through 28. Now, here's what's interesting both Jesus' journey and Paul's journey are a zigzag path. Jesus zigzags his way from north to south. Why? Because there are people who have needs on that path. Paul has a massively zigzag journey from Ephesus to Rome. Now, why the zigzag path? Well, Do you remember that this was the path that Moses took the people of Israel on? How long does it take to get from Mount Sinai to the Promised Land? About 11 days, about 11 days. How long did it take for the people of Israel? About 40 years. And if you track the path, it's a zigzag path. The Exodus was an epic journey. Jesus' trip from north to south was an epic journey. Paul's trip from Ephesus to Rome is an epic journey. What Luke wants to tell us is that when you finish strong, you are taking an epic journey of purpose, but it's a zigzag journey. And what I want to argue is that sometimes God allows your life to go in a zigzag path. So I look at my life right now and my life of my family, and God knew so, we were going to be in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, for more than 20 years. And yet, we went from Dallas to Baltimore to Los Angeles and back to Dallas before we made it to Bartlesville. That's a zigzag path. Now, some people don't just have a zigzag path, ge- path. geographically, some people have a zigzag path in terms of their, of their purpose and the quirkiness of their life, and you think, God, like, why don't you take me on a straight-line path? Why? And it's because the zigzag path is designed to cause you to encounter the power of God. If you're on a straight-line path and everything is smooth sailing and everything is easy, it's really easy to not trust in God. And so, when you think about how, how mission works, about how purpose works, we all have the same mission. Acts 1.8, advance the kingdom, lead others to Christ, be His ambassadors, serve as witnesses, represent Him, be believer priests, but we express that mission in different ways. Stay-at-home moms, carpenters, medical professionals, division heads, small business owners, students. And what I want to tell you is that as you learn to express your mission, God often will take you on a zigzag path, because in that zigzag path, what you end up doing is you encounter and you experience the power of God. I also want to argue that you'll discover that purpose in prayer. Um, I think about my daughter, who I just referenced, who was in England, and my daughter and son-in-law were praying about their future, and my daughter said, you know, I just really sense that God wants us to help My sister and brother-in-law start their church in Seattle. My other daughter and son-in-law are starting a church in in, in Bedford, England. I mean, in Seattle, Washington. So my Bedford-based daughter said, I just think that's what God is calling us to do. Crazy idea. Move from the UK to the US. They spent a long time praying about that. And um, my son-in-law's company said what would you think about starting a division of our company in Seattle, Washington? <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. So, there was some confirmation. And then, and then all of a sudden, the zigzag path took place. It wasn't a geographically zigzag path, but There were so many twists and turns in learning how to navigate a massive transfer from the UK to the US. Zigzag path. God will give you your purpose in prayer, but many times that purpose involves a zigzag path. Now, remember, Luke's instructing us about how to get power to be on that path And So now we're going to look at the the false power. Acts 19, 23, Demetrius, whom we'll see in a second, uses the power of manipulation, bullying, coercion, and deceit. Verse 23, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. The way was the term that was used for the followers of Christ back in those days. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, made silver shrines of Artemis, and you can see sort of representation of that silver shrine on the coins from Ephesus. That image on the coin is a small image of what Demetrius's product looked like that he sold. So, Demetrius would make these things. You'd go to the, go to the temple of Artemis, you would say, I, 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 wanna, I want a statue to take home. Well, Demetrius made those statues, Well, he brought no little business to the craftsmen, these silver shrines. these He gathered together, the the craftsmen, with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. Well, why was this a problem? Well, for three years in the city of Ephesus, Paul had been developing a ministry, meeting at the school of Tyrannus, and the people at that school would fan out into the city, Go back to their jobs, and they would share Christ over over lunch, over tacos at the Taco Bueno. And they don't have Taco Buenos in Ephesus, but well, they may today, but but they didn't they didn't back then. But you get the point. They're they're tr- they're naturally sharing their faith in the course of of life. And now people are saying, you know what? We're not going to worship at the temple of Artemis anymore. Artemis is a false false deity. We're not, we're not going to go there anymore. And the tourist trade in Ephesus was beginning to dry up, and that was a big problem. This is a picture of the temple in Ephesus, and this is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And the thing about this, this temple is, is that because the harbor at Ephesus had been drying up and silting over, business was no longer the main commerce in Ephesus. It was tourism, and this was the main tourist attraction. People came to Ephesus not so much for the business, but for the tourism. This was like Disney World of the ancient world, but it was thoroughly wrapped up in the occult. It was sexually addictive because there were temple prostitutes there. It was financially addictive because you would give money into the temple in the hopes that Artemis would bless you, It was spiritually addictive because you would go into this place and there was a sense of spiritual power, but the wrong kind of power. This was a deeply evil and addictive place, although from an artistic standpoint, it was magnificently beautiful. And the Christian movement is now messing with the tourism in this place. And Demetrius has a solution. He gathers the guilds together And they're going to fight the problem with force. You get the impression Demetrius was the leader of a bunch of guilds. He gathers them together in the guild hall. He gives a rousing speech. The people begin to yell and shout. And we've seen this even in our election year, haven't we? We've seen people gather together yelling and shouting. We see this when we look at images in the Middle East. There'll be a rousing speech. People take to the streets. They yell and shout. It gets on the gets on television Well that's what was happening, happening here. At the end of the speech, everybody in the hall rushes out into the streets, and they don't have Twitter, they don't have Facebook. you can't get a flash mob by getting your Twitter fans together. So people in Ephesus are, are moving with this group of people, not knowing where they're going or what they're, or why they're just hearing a, hearing a commotion and They head to the theater, but they grab two Christians, Gaius and Aristarchus, on the way. And they head to the theater, and and the theater is packed with people. Oh, wait a second. That's the Chesapeake Center. That's not the temple in Ephesus. But I put this up here to show you that is, what, 18,000 people? I Googled it. I think Chesapeake Center holds 18,000 people. That's a lot of people at Chesapeake Center. The temple, or uh, the, the theater at Ephesus holds 24,500 people. So think Chesapeake Center, think crowds, think that the temple, uh, the, the, not the temple, but the theater in Ephesus is bigger, bigger than the Chesapeake Center is. Well, people are in the, in the theater, they're shouting and a Jewish merchant says, "Uh, we don't want this to be pinned on us. So, uh, Alexander gets up, takes center stage. He's about to make his defense to defend the Jewish group in Ephesus, and the people in the theater freak out. They freak out. They start saying, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. In the Greek, it's four words that they shout over and over again. Megale He Artemis Ephesion, Megale He Artemis Ephesion, Megale He Artemis Ephesian. For two hours, they're shouting this. Now, two hours is a tennis match. Two hours is a professional football game. Two hours is a baseball game. It's a full nine innings. That is a long time to be shouting Megale hey Artemis Ephesion. But this is the ancient world and they got long attention spans and they're passionate and they do this. They do this for over two hours. Now we have a problem because the Apostle Paul says, oh, this is, this is bad. I want to go into the theater. So Paul I think probably feels somewhat responsible. His Christian buddies are in there as hostages. He thinks, I want to go into the theater. And Paul makes his way to the theater, but Paul has some very influential friends who are with him. These men are called Asiarchs. Asiarchs are leaders who led a city in Asia Minor for a political term. Once that term is expired, they kept the position, the, the, the title Asiarch, for the rest of their life, but they had a very influential role in society. And Paul has led a number of Asiarchs to Christ. So, so by the way, you know I hear sometimes you know people say, "Well, it was only the poor, impoverished, unintelligent people who, who came to Christ in the ancient world." Boy, that is not the case. That's not the case. The Asiarchs have also come to Christ, and the Asiarchs are saying, "Paul, you cannot go into that theater. You can't go into that theater. I know you feel responsible." That is not going to advance the Christian witness in Ephesus. It's not going to advance the Christian wish witness in Asia Minor. Paul, you, we, we strongly advise you do not go into that theater. Well, the town clerk comes to the rescue. Men of Ephesus, who is there among uh, here who does not know that the city of, of the Ephesians is, uh, is temple keeper of the great Artemis? and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. There are pro Let them make charges. Paul does not go into the theater. Paul does not calm things down. I think God used the town clerk to calm things down because it would not have been good for Paul to have done that. Paul wants to do it left to his own thoughts, he would have done it, but he wisely accepted the counsel of others. Now, let me kind of go back to what the big picture is. Big picture is this. This is a lesson about power. It's a lesson about power. And the power of Demetrius is the power of manipulation, confusion, coercion, bullying. It's a false power. And what Paul would want to say to us is this, if you're going to fulfill your purpose in life, that is not the kind of power that you want to use. It's not the kind of power you want to use. And we as followers of Christ have to be very intentional and very careful about the kind of power that we think we need to use to advance our purposes in life. Whether you say, I'm going to build this business, I'm going to build this practice, I'm going to build this, this small enterprise that I have. I'm going to build my reputation as a student. I'm going to build my reputation as a teacher. We have to ask the question, by what power am I going to do these things? And it is an option to use false power. It's an option. I have known uh, people who are Christian bullies. I've known some who are apologetics bullies. I love apologetics. Apologetics is a great thing. I've known some apologetics bullies. And they want to learn the answers that their non-Christian acquaintances, to their non-Christian acquaintances, questions, and they want to blow them away. Blow them away with truth. Does that, does that really help somebody transfer their trust to Christ? No. I've known some political bullies. Rather than seeking first God's kingdom and looking for opportunities to share Christ, they want first and foremost to assert their political views and then slander those who disagree, the, the idea being that what's really first is not, is not the kingdom of God, but it's my, it's my left-wing agenda or it's my right-wing agenda, and that takes precedence over this believer in Christ that I see in front of me and that's more important. I've seen people who are cultural bullies. They're, they're really hip with the culture. They, they really are savvy to all the new things that are happening in the culture, and if you're, not, if you're not like them, you are made fun of, and you're marginalized, and you're made to appear less than. And the, the, the thing is, if you want to accomplish your purpose in life, you have to be very cognizant of the kind of power that you are going to use. Am I going to ramp up personal charisma and power to assert my authority, my influence in a way that's merely human-based, or am I going to think about power differently and use a fundamentally different kind of a power? Paul had to be told by the Asiarchs not to use the wrong kind of power. Now, I, I, take, I take it from, from that, that I can be a very mature follower of Jesus. And in the moment, I can be tempted to use the wrong kind of power. And so I, I say to you who are relatively mature, you are not above using the wrong kind of power. You're not above it. And so we have to be very thoughtful about the kind of power we're going to use. Now Paul is going to illustrate... Uh, the true kind of power. Here's the true kind of power. Paul is going to use resurrection power in the context of discipleship. Remember, Paul's purpose is to advance the kingdom of the the cause of Christ on his way to Rome. So, how is he going to do this? Paul uses resurrection power in the context of discipleship. Verse verse 1, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. Now, I I read this, and I just have to chuckle because, okay, he's going to Rome. To go to Macedonia, he's headed toward Rome, but he's not getting closer to Jerusalem, which was his first stop on the way. So now he's starting this this zigzag journey that's going to take him ultimately to Rome But we think, wait, you're you're going away from your destination. So, um, we need to realize when we read these two two, uh, stories about the riot in Ephesus and about the upcoming story of the resurrection of Eutychus, these stories are definitely meant to be read together. I'll tell you why. These stories begin and they end with the same literary figure of speech it begins with a statement no little disturbance concerning the way that's a very precise figure of speech in the ancient world and it ends with a statement they were not a little comforted so you take those two statements and they're like bookends to these two stories they they were meant to be read together as a contrast another reason why we should read them together is that interestingly The crowds in the theater in Ephesus are called an ecclesia. Three times. Well, that's the word from which we get our word gathering or church. So the crowds in the theater are like a false gathering, a false ecclesia, using false power. Whereas in the gathering that we see in this next story, it's a a true gathering, a gathering of, of the true church encountering true power. Another reason to read these together. Both stories are preceded by Paul sending people out. He sends two people out in 1922 and six people out in chapter 21 through 6. So, Paul is doing what Jesus did on his last journey. Jesus sent people out. Paul sends people out. Let me give you another reason why these should be read together. Both stories address a crisis. Chapter 19 addresses the death of a business. Chapter 20 addresses the death of a little boy same sort of parallel. One more reason. Chapter 19 is a gathering in chaos. Chapter 20 is a gathering that celebrates a miracle. Paul intends that the false power story be read in conjunction with the true power story in chapter 20. So, here's how the story unfolds. On the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them intending to depart on the next day and he prolonged his speech till midnight. I, take this, I put this picture up here because this is a picture of an ancient upper room. Now, today, I took this picture. When I took this picture, this picture now is in the basement of the city that it's in, but in the ancient world, it was the upper room of a, of a multi-story building in an ancient city. So, this is the kind of of room that these people were gathered in. Not a big theater, but big enough to accommodate a good number of people. This is, Paul goes to Troas. Uh, he's there for a week, arrives on a Monday, uh, intends to leave on the following Monday. On this particular Sunday night for the final teaching, there's going to be a final discipleship encounter. They gather at sunset, they celebrate the equivalent of a potluck meal. They bring food from their homes. They celebrate this wonderful meal. They have communion. About 9 p.m., Paul begins to teach, and he teaches, and he teaches, and he continues to teach, and he teaches for three hours from nine till midnight, three hours. Now, again, ancient world, this was very, very common to have these kinds of things. It's common in China, it's common in places that don't have, you know, YouTube clips that they, you know, in video games where attention spans have been reduced. I've talked to people who've been to China, and they say, I was intending to teach for one hour, and they made me, made me teach for six hours. I was exhausted. And some of the Chinese pastors say, oh, that's nothing. We sometimes do it for longer. So, Paul teaches for, for th- three hours, and now we have a problem because um, teenagers being teenagers they don't have the same kind of attention span and there's this little teenage boy named Eutychus and Eutychus is sitting on the windowsill and Eutychus begins to doze off and he begins to snore now if I'd have been Eutychus's dad I would have said Eutychus get off the windowsill get back in your chair But Eutychus' dad apparently was not paying attention to where Eutychus was sitting. And Eutychus falls asleep, begins to snore lightly. He shifts around, and he falls out of the window three stories down to the ground. Now, that interrupted the crowd that night. They're riveted to what Paul is saying. And Eutychus falls. Terrible disaster. You can imagine the parents rushing down the steps, you know, down... And the people are gathered around Eutychus. And even Luke, the writer who's a physician, says, The guy's dead. He's dead. So Paul bends over Eutychus, bending down like Elijah bent down over a young boy in 1 Kings 17, and like Elisha did in 2 Kings chapter 4, and like Jesus does in Mark chapter 5. Paul bends down over Eutychus and life supernaturally animates this young boy. We have a miracle. We've got a Class A miracle that's taken place, and the entire church is amazed. They celebrate. They go back up to the third floor, and do they say, all right, that's enough for the night? No, they don't, because Paul teaches now for another six hours until daybreak, and then the church... Depart some to their homes, others to their offices, and they are fired up because Paul has demonstrated resurrection power in the context of discipleship. So, do you see the contrast between the two stories? A crowd engaged in false power and a crowd who has encountered true power. Now, think about these, these, these two stories the power of manipulation and coercion of Demetrius is one kind of power. The power of persistent, patient discipleship is a different kind of power. One of them is temporary. The other one is eternal. One of them is human power. The other one is supernatural power. And if we aim to finish well, the kind of power that we need is resurrection power in the context of discipleship. I want you to notice how… Uh, there's, there's Paul helping little Eutychus. I want you to notice some snapshots about how Paul's disciple-making uh, worked. First of all, he engages in a ministry of encouragement. When you are using true, authentic spiritual power, don't underestimate how Spirit-filled encouragement will shift the culture in your home, will shift the culture in your work, will shift the culture in your school. When you offer encouragement, it's not just, yeah, it's human encouragement. When you offer encouragement in the power of the Spirit, the Spirit can take that encouragement and He can use that to build a supernatural climate in your home, office, school, or corporation. Paul uses that kind of discipleship, ministry of encouragement. Uh, Paul also does in-depth equipping For three months in Macedonia, in-depth equipping. Don't underestimate the power of this either. I've probably told the story before, but I was meeting in Dallas with a young real estate entrepreneur. I was in my late 20s. He was in his early 30s. We had met for about three or four weeks in my office. And he finally said to me one day, he says, you know, I I just got to tell you, you are my mentor. I mean, I've been looking for a mentor all my life. You are my spiritual mentor. And I'm thinking all I'm doing is sharing ultra-basic things about how to grow in Christ. And God is leveraging what I'm saying and making it far, far more significant than I am perceiving. Don't underestimate what equipping does. It does more than you see in the moment. Uh, Acts 23-6, uh, through six, it's a ministry of mercy. He's, he's raising funds for the poor. And he's teaching other people how to steward money. It's being raised. Don't underestimate the fact that when you give money financially and teach others to do the same thing, you are advancing the cause of Christ beyond what you realize. It's a snapshot of Paul's disciple-making work. Acts 20, verse 7, there's the ministry of the Word. Don't underestimate this. I have had people say, um, I, was, I was with a friend. They shared a part of a single verse of Scripture And God used that to change my life. God loves to use his word. And then, uh, obviously, in 9 through 12, there's the ministry of healing prayer. And don't underestimate this, this, this either. I read just recently an article in the Journal of the American Medical Association. And they were asking about what factors contribute to longevity among women. And here's what they said. They said, one of the major factors, very high in the list, is regular attendance in church. Regular attendance in church contributed to longevity, decreased mortality rate among women. Now, JAMA did not ex- explain all the details as to why, but one of the things I've read recently from Harold Koenig at Duke University Medical School, is that it is, it is, now this is not a scientific study, but it is the role that prayer plays in the outlook of the one receiving prayer. There's hope, and that hope generates a sense of sustainability in times of trial and in in crisis. Don't underestimate the power of healing prayer by the way can i just i j- just just want to say that you know these are qu- expressions of very quiet power it's not the yelling of demetrius in the theater but it's power that changes the world it's power that changes the world now let me let me just give you some final some final uh, takeaways um as we think about false power versus true power first takeaway is this be clear about your overall purpose your purpose derives from Acts 1.8. God wants you to be a witness. He wants you to advance His kingdom. He wants you to be an ambassador. He wants you to represent Him. He wants you to make Him known around the world. Everybody for the past 2,000 years who follows Christ has had that same commission. Be clear about that overall purpose. But a lot of people will say, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. But like, how do I do that? Like, where do I do that? Like, How do I particularly apply that? Well, you've got to be clear about your specific purpose. You know, every occupation is an opportunity to serve God. There's no dichotomy between somebody being in quote unquote full time Christian ministry and somebody being a a layperson. There's no dichotomy between the two. Every occupation is an opportunity to serve God. You can serve Him as a stay at home mom, you can serve Him as a rancher on a large farm. You can serve him as a medical professional, as a retired grandfather. You can serve him as a small business owner. Wherever you happen to be, you can do Acts 1-8, but it's going to be filtered through your unique personality and your unique calling on your life. So a person who's got the gifts of, say, Johann Sebastian Bach is going to be spending a lot of time practicing the piano, Right? Somebody could say, well, that's the time you could be out sharing Christ. Wait, 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 wait a second. Wait a second. No, God is going to use Bach in a different way than he's going to use somebody else. But every occupation is an opportunity to serve God. And God wants to leverage what you do so that what you do is eternally significant in, in his, his sight. No domain of human activity is, is off limits except those that are illegal, unethical, and immoral. My daughter, used to be in UK, is now in the US, in Seattle, is a gifted worship leader and a stay-at-home mom. And my daughter often tells me, you know, what I, what I just love, what I just love is leading worship. I love it. And I get to do it like almost every week. I love, love, love doing that. That's a way where she takes Acts 1:8 and she funnels it into what she does. But she's a stay-at-home mom. And she's also, of course, accomplishing Acts 1-8 and our three g- grandchildren. But the big picture is make disciples. The small picture is, all right, Lord, where have you called me to do that? Your, you should consider your office a place that God has set apart and sanctified for you to accomplish Great Commission. Third takeaway is to focus on the eternal. Now, here's what's amazing. You remember the the image that I showed you of the temple of Artemis? Remember how beautiful it was, one of the eight wonders of the ancient world? You know what's the only thing that's left of that temple today? That's it. That's it. There's nothing else left. All that all that hubbub in the theater about, about great is Artemis of the Ephesians, that's all that's left of that supposedly eternal temple. And yet, what's happened with the Christ movement? It is in every nation on the face of the earth, it is exploding in the developing world right now. Artemis lost, Jesus won. And Jesus didn't win by coercive, manipulative, bullying power. Jesus won by the multiplication power of discipleship. Persistent, patient, personal discipleship that has a culture of resurrection power. And the final takeaway is we've got to always go back. To that resurrected power of Jesus. Remember what I said to you last week, you know, that we are identified with Christ in his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and his being seated at the right hand of God. You, you have the resurrection power of Jesus inside you. So don't don't go putting the wrong kind of fuel inside. Don't go to the gas station and put gas in your diesel engine car or diesel in your gasoline engine car. Don't do that. Don't do that. Their own kind of power is no power. God's giving you a mission. And if you want to finish well, the way you you finish that mission is by embracing that true power. Resurrection power in the context of discipleship. Now, as we transition to communion, I want you just to spend a little bit of time. We'll turn the lights low and just, just close your eyes for a second. And I want you to ask the question, Lord God, what is my specific purpose at this time in my life? What is my specific purpose? Now, God may say to some of you, your purpose is to keep doing what you're doing now, but I want you to trust me for opportunities to reflect my character and to express who I am. God may say to others, others of you, I want you to do something different. But I want you to ask the question, What, Lord, what is my purpose at this point in my life? I know my big purpose. I, I want to know how specifically you want me to fulfill that, that individual purpose that I have given my gifts, my talents, my energies, my time in life. How do I accomplish that purpose? Where, where, where is that? And how do I get there? Ask him that question. And then what we know is we've got to use the right kind of power, which is resurrection power expressed in a context of discipleship. Father in heaven, we love you and and thank you so much for the privilege of being called as co workers along with you. Lord, we ask that you would empower us to be co workers. Have a highly specific purpose, a highly specific purpose. Father, thank you that as we take communion, we can affirm that purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night, and